Good afternoon, Germantown. Hi, Germantown. Hi, Germantown. I am Stephanie, and I am here with my co-host, Lois. We are the Everyday Feminist, coming to you live on G-Town Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia. Or you could be streaming us from anywhere in the world at gtownradio.com. Welcome to 92.9 FM. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm Lois. Thanks, Stephanie. How was your day? Good, good. How's your day been? It's good. Good. Oh, how was your Thanksgiving? I had a great Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving in in so many ways. It was interesting to get together with family and celebrate a holiday that was founded on genocide when there's all these other things happening in the world. You know, but I think there was a thing in my mind that I just decided to just be with family and how that felt really good felt really good after just the amount of turbulence our world is going through and where like where we've all come from being an americans celebrating thanksgiving yeah yeah a friend of mine (laughs) sent me a text that said happy murderous colonizers day yeah yeah (laughs) it's like you know high five yeah but i also was like i it felt really good to be with family and we went up to my parents house and it was it was actually really nice the food is always super delicious and yeah, we had a good, t- a really good time. How about you? Oh, it was good. It was good. You know, it was like my Thanksgivings tend to be kind of small, which I generally like. And I do a lot of cooking. Although in the last couple of years, my son, who happens to really like cooking, helps me out. Or sometimes we'll even do the bulk of it. Mm-hmm. So that happened this year. We like made the turkey together and he wanted to make the stuffing because no one makes it as good as he does, mm-hmm. which actually is true. Yeah. And so it was kind of fun doing that with him and watching him. Although by the end of the day, he looked exhausted. And I felt like, yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's tiring, isn't it? <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So in some ways, I got a break because I can't tell you I've probably been making Thanksgiving dinner for God, twenty to thirty years. Often, usually just me mm-hmm. doing it. So now I have my helper, and that's pretty cool. And it yeah. was nice. But that's good. Yeah. Who Who does the cooking in your family? Is it like a shared endeavor? Yeah, it's a shared endeavor. My, I mean, my mom will always make way more food. Then she like we'll like divvy up who brings what, and it'll still feel like it's not evenly split. Like mom is taking a little bit more, and then she'll be like, "And I'm just gonna make soup and this and this." Like after everybody, like she just makes a lot, but she she loves it. But I would say my sister and I bring quite a bit of food. Yeah, yeah, we do, and it's we like it. I mean, I love bringing. I mean, I brought a c- couple different. I go. I brought a lot of sides to stuff mom made the turkey and the stuff you have to make there right all of those kinds of things mm-hmm. it's interesting when i hear you say your mom loves it and you're like she loves it and she might but the cynical part of my brain is like does she love it or is it just a compulsion <laughs> <laughs> i don't know we'd like, have to ask her like, <laughs> there are the things that we sort of can't help but do because we get used to doing them but does that mean we really love it or does that mean that it's just the thing that happens and so you do it yeah i i would say feeding people 
is her love language. For instance, when I was a teenager, I remember there'd be times I'd be like, Mom, I'm bringing over, bringing the band over. We're going to go play in the garage or whatever. And we'd be home in like 15 minutes, and I don't know how she'd do it. The whole table would be filled with food. Wow. She created the place where everybody wanted to come and hang out. And I think she's made that place a lot by creating like a table for people to sit down at and have conversation. And so there is parts of it that she really does like it. She likes cooking. Even thinking about um, my parents during the pandemic, I would ask my dad, you know, so how you doing? You know, like everybody's quarantined. And he'd be like, well, I'm locked in the house with my best friend whose favorite hobby is to cook. How do you think I'm doing? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> jackpot for me. <laughs> <laughs> Winning. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there is, I do think that there is like a, a real love of cooking that my mom has. And to take a step back for her, I think is more difficult. Because she wants to be able to do it all herself, but she's realizing that maybe doing it all herself is going to burn her out. So, you know, we kids try to really, you know, it's like we're cleaning up. We're trying, like, I I tried to get, like, I got there early to help set up to be helpful. Yeah. My next question was Does she also clean all of the, right? Because that's the, the dark underbelly of cooking is sort of like the dishes and the pots and pans and you know like my son and I clean as we go as much as possible and I can keep the kitchen like sometimes I will be the sous chef now you know like Mm -hmm. he's doing the thing and I'm trying to kind of like keep the space organized Mm -hmm. for him to do his thing like enabling him to cook great food and somehow still in the end There is like by the time there's actually food on the table, there is just a mountain of like all the last minute things like the roasting pan and the, you know, the serving for like all of this stuff somehow is still there. Yeah. I don't know. We've like, I I think that in a way now actually thinking about it, we're very well oiled machine in a way. Even getting to the house early, I was, I would help do all those little dishes as my mom was putting things out. I'd be like, okay, here, give me that bowl, the mashed potato thing, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I would just be washing before dinner. And then after dinner, like all the kids would bring all the things into the kitchen. And my sister and I would lay out all the leftovers. And then my mom had, has like takeout containers for everybody or there use a dish of something that you brought and you kind of go through that. We all divvy up the leftovers with what kids like that, more of that, or who likes this or what was brought. And we figure out how we're divvying up the leftovers, pack it up. And then me, my brother and my sister basically took the kitchen to the end or, you know, we cleaned up the rest. Then you clean up the rest. Yeah. It's so interesting because I was, this is what I was thinking about pretty much, I guess, the day after Thanksgiving, I was thinking about the leftovers, Mm -hmm. like exactly that. You know, how do families handle the Thanksgiving leftovers? And who gets the leftovers? And what does it mean to get the leftovers? It's like the most prized leftovers of the whole year. I mean, 
the Thanksgiving leftovers fantasy <laughs> is a big one, right? Yeah. Like the like what people imagine they're going to have the day after, and there's mm-hmm. just such a glorification of whatever it would be, like the turkey sandwich. I mean, there's the sometimes the question of what do you do with all the leftovers, but then there's also the question of like who gets these prized leftovers, mm-hmm. right? And I know in my family growing up, um, I've probably talked about this on other shows, my memory of most Thanksgivings during childhood was doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. Like that is the main component. Well, maybe there are two components. One, doing mountains of dishes. <laughs> and two, watching my uncles who had been sitting around while he did all the dishes take all the food and leave. Oh, Right. So then they got all the leftovers, you know, and the idea was that their mom was there cooking food for them. And so she, my grandmother, had prepared all of this food. Mm -hmm. Maybe my mom had helped some, but it was certainly a woman driven meal. Yeah. And then they had three uncles and a brother and, you know, some male cousins. They were the sort of lazy recipients of all the rest of it. So they didn't contribute a whole lot to the meal. They might help set the table. They probably helped clear the table to bring the dishes to the sink so I could wash them. And then somehow, like, all everything, like, you're describing, like, the packing up of all the leftovers in containers, that would happen. But it was sort of like my grandmother would do it and be like, okay, this one's for Tommy. This one's for Bobby. This one's for Rick. And, like, everybody got it. You know, and my one uncle who was unpartnered, or if they were unpartnered, they got even more. Mm -hmm. And it always sort of... I sort of had, you know, on the one hand, I felt glad, I guess, that my uncles had food. But on the other hand, it just sort of seemed unfair to my grandmother. I mean, although maybe she didn't want them, but that's a lot of work to prepare all that food to just like send it all away. Yeah. You know, and I know that I sort of, so there are times that I felt that and probably I have a Thanksgiving leftovers issue. (laughs) It's probably a bit of a trigger. why we are talking about it. This is my issue. I know how many of these shows are driven by my issues. <laughs> same, same. So, yeah, so I, I noticed this because, you know, like I said, I've cooked so many Thanksgiving dinners, often alone. You know, not like, you know, I would have kind of support, but generally I was the mastermind and I gathered all the ingredients and I prepared all the food and then with the leftovers. And, you know, way back when my brother was single, he would sometimes come over and he had the same expectation as my uncles had, except in this case, somehow I was mom. So he would come over and there was this expectation that he would get to just take what he wanted with him. And I had just spent all this time cooking this food and I had little kids that actually kind of I still would need to feed dinner to or dinner the next night. So I'm here looking at the food thinking like, okay, how can I make this last so that I, you know, all that like 48 hours of nonstop cooking doesn't have to go to nothing for my kids, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and so there always felt like there was just this tension around his expectation that he should get to have his Thanksgiving leftover fantasy fulfilled. And I didn't want him to have that. Yeah. <laughs> because it felt like then it was going to be coming at a cost to me. Like, so there's just this funny tension. And I don't know that people really talk about that. Like, what do we do with the Thanksgiving leftovers? And who has, who 
who's entitled to them? Is it the person that cooks them? Is it the family that comes over? If everyone can, because everybody wants them. Generally, everybody wants them. I mean, I'm sure there are the, there's probably the one leftover that nobody wants, but generally everybody wants them. How do we divvy it up in a way? And I mean, sure. It like, obviously everything depends and everybody's in their own circumstance. But I always, back in the times that I'm talking about with my brother, it would feel bad to me, like as if I didn't want to deny him the leftovers, but I also wanted to keep them because I could use them for future meals that then I wouldn't have to spend as much effort on. But he wasn't looking at it that way. Not at all. And he didn't have kids then. No. So it was just like, you know, he he would kind of join us as kind of part of the family. And, you know, it's it's nice to be able to wrap someone a plate to take home. That's always nice to do that. And I think that the difference is that to me it's a matter of um, sort of how much do you have to give, right? So for me, it would it felt more like being taken from than giving because it's like I didn't have a big support. It was kind of me and only me. And I already felt like I was this dry well that was somehow still producing water. Like, and so to take more water from the well that's already dry when you didn't bring any water to put into the Did well. Did he bring anything? Did he bring like acne pie or something? Maybe. Yeah. See, even Probably, that type stuff kind of bothers me a little bit. It's like, okay, you stopped at the store and got a pie no one's saying that we're not thankful for that. Great. Thank you for the pie. Or thank you for the really, really delicious pie that you got at the bakery and ordered three weeks in advance. Thank you for bringing that as well. Or whatever it might look like. But when you're like looking at the, you know, the amount of labor, the amount of times, I don't know how many times you went to the grocery store just to get Thanksgiving dinner. I know I went like maybe three or four times because I kept forgetting <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. I need to get this. Oh, oh I yeah. need to get gluten-free breadcrumbs. Or, you know, I'm thinking about dietary restrictions and who is going to like this and who's going to like that. And the mental work that goes into such a big meal. It's like, I get what you're saying to feel like, all right, well, I've done all this. And then you come and then just take it with you. It feels like not only are you sitting at my table, but then there's this other part of me. That also kind of feels a little bit like that's just how men are. And it's just a pain in the butt. I mean, I'm saying, yeah, right. There, There's that. Although I'm remembering now a Thanksgiving that my brother did host. Although I don't know if I had kids yet. I might, I might not have. Or if so, they, you know, maybe one and he was really little. But I do remember my brother cooking a whole meal at some point. But I, I wouldn't have ever expected... To take the food with me. I mean, I do you know what I mean? That yeah. there's something yeah. about yep, that, yep, that it I wouldn't that. feel like I was entitled to that. Or it just wouldn't even register to me unless someone was like, here, would you please take this? We don't need any more. It wouldn't, I wouldn't ask. I wouldn't expect it. So it's the Thanksgiving leftovers that really, it really is that they're expected. It's the expectation that. And, and but they're so good. Everybody wants to take them. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, like this year, there were some leftovers and they kind of got divvied up in a funny way. And I just really was protecting the turkey itself because mm-hmm. I make gumbo out of it. Mm-hmm. And so there certainly was some kind of swarming around. <laughs> like, we really would like to have the rest of the turkey. And 
The answer was no. Nope. But it'll Sorry. get, you know, you'll get it, but transformed into another dish. It'll be, right. it'll be good. I promise. But mm-hmm. I guess that what this really gets at for me has something to do with like nurturing the nurturer. Sort of like when the, when there are people who are doing the nurturing, how much do we allow them to nurture us without noticing that they need it too? Right. So there's something. And for me, you know, it kind of it translates into food or I think food is a good example. So here's somebody typically a woman, not always, but typically, you know, the stereotype is, you know, you've got some kind of mom figure making Thanksgiving. And are we what are we really putting back into her to help her be able to have the energy and the stamina? Are we bringing her flowers? Did we? Oh, Stephanie. There's one day a year that we celebrate her called Mother's Day. Or, or maybe we celebrate her. Maybe. Maybe we do if we remember. One day a year. If she reminds we, us. Everybody gets it wrong. Right. right. <laughs> if she reminds us that it's Mother's Day and hands us something that we can hand back to her on that day. I mean, I know obviously not all yeah. Mother's Days are the same, but. But I I certainly have had my share of Mother's Day disappointments. No, I I really honestly as and I think about this, the caring for the caretakers. I mean, that's a big part of a lot of the work that I do and a lot of different missions that I'm a part of. But just I think a lot of that comes down to even feeling like a single mom and feeling Like, yes, I have my friends. Yes, I have my community. And yes, I surround myself with life-giving people. And my kids are great. And they are helpful. And we have a good thing going on. I've got a good thing going on. It's it's difficult not having that well being watered in a way where it's like like part of my job is making sure my well doesn't go dry. Right. That's that's part of it. Right. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. And you're somebody who, you know, you give a lot and you nurture a lot of people and it seems to come naturally to you and you seem to enjoy it. But, you know, I certainly wonder sometimes, like, what does Lois need, right, to keep going and what, you know, Lois is pouring the love into everybody. And so she's got to have some people pouring the love into her. Right. And the same, you know, I certainly see myself in that way. Time There are times that I feel like really dried out. This just like this parched plant that's just mm-hmm. like really dried out. And it feels like nobody notices. Yeah. That you know? feeling. It's like you're and you're still trying to do everything. And then, of course, there's the other problem of pointing it out to people can see depending on who it is. But generally it gets recast as complaining. Generally it I had, or feeling needy. I want to come to the table with my friendships or my community. Yeah, there's a time and a place for being like, hey, I need some support and love and kindness right now. But I don't like to pull that card just on everyday stuff. Well, right. But And so ideally, people would just notice and you wouldn't even have to kind of go the extra mile to ask for it. But, you know, I certainly hear, you know, I hear this in all different aspects of my life. Women talking about how much they're giving how little they're getting in return and how they're not seen. And when they talk about it, when they talk about their own needs, they're often cast. This is a thing I've heard a few times recently that they're cast as being depressed and not depressed because they're in a depressing circumstance, not depressed because they've been kind of in some ways systematically starved, right? Not depressed because they've asked for their needs to be met and no one has listened or cared 
but depressed because they were born that way. Right. It's a version of like a diagnose. Well, you know, she's just depressed. So, oh, yeah. of course. Right. Oh, yeah. And that it drives me kind of crazy because mm. if if this person let's let's use the Thanksgiving example, I'll just make something up. If someone has made because I can think of many women that this applies to has like put all this effort into feeding their own family, feeding extended family. Maybe they've hosted and they've had a lot of people over and they've bought all this stuff and they've orchestrated it and they have housed the guests that come in from out of town. So now she's got to do all the laundry and there's just like all of this work that goes into it. And at the end she's crying because she's tired. She's depleted. No one even saved her a piece of pie, which often, you know, like there is that sense of like you're feeding everyone and you're forgotten and you're crying at the end of that where she's crying and then she's cast as depressed right? Well, maybe she needs meds. Maybe you should talk to your therapist, right? That drives me nuts mm -hmm. as the therapist that ends up hearing it, whether it's from friends or in my practice or in the grocery store line. It, it's, it's, it's something that I would really like people to wake up about. You know, I don't think that women are like, if the woman, if there's a woman in your life who's depressed, don't assume that she's just born that way. Don't just assume that this is, you know, some kind of neurobiological predisposition that she came with. Like, first, like, check in on her and see how her life's going. Like, is she getting watered? Or is she yeah. kind of becoming like a plant that's like completely with, you know, where the roots are so hard that it's even hard. You'd have to submerge it in water for like a month for it to finally even mm -hmm. loosen up enough to like take it in. I guess it's just difficult though because it seems like what we're talking about relies on other people problematic yes in in my life who would that be but myself well i don't know right right besides the people who are already there for me which i can call and talk to and i have like i have you in my life i've got like a, all these amazing women and i got I got a lot of amazing women in my life who, are, if I needed help, they would be right there for mm -hmm. me with like a big old watering can. Not a problem. And I got a lot of great men in my life that are just examples that men can be good. And I think a lot of women are kind of in that boat, you know, even if they're not single moms. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that I have frequently feel like I'm in that boat. And it's and again, it's not like I don't think that there's anybody there who's intentionally trying to not give Right. There is just a way that it's almost like the way that society has cast women. It's as if we've got this fantasy dream mother that like fantasy dream mother is endlessly loving. She's endlessly giving. She's got the she's completely full of got this great bounty to just deliver and deliver and deliver and deliver. And, del and there isn't a sense of that fantasy dream mom is being like Susie, mm -hmm. <laughs> Susie Brown from next door, who actually is a human being person who probably has a limit. I really think that there's a sense that, that we can kind of slip into that and probably, you know, daughters do it to their moms just as much as sons do, but it certainly does feel like as we, as we get older and we start families. I mean, I really felt this when I slipped into the mom, slipped into when I became a mother didn't slip into the mom role. When I became a mother, I really felt it. Like all of a sudden, the expectations on me were quintuple. I mean, and it's not like I had very few expectations to begin with because I always did a lot. But once you have kids and you are officially a mother, now everyone wants more. Mm -hmm. 
And there wasn't a sense of like who's going to put something in to like help that grow. And a lot of times what happens is then women usually are feeling this way and ask their partners just to do very simple things around the house, plan a romantic evening, put a little bit more effort in, and it's unbelievably confrontational. Right. Do you know, I heard a story, I think a week ago, a woman was telling me about having had those kinds of conversations with her husband and having gotten a lot of defensiveness. And the the conversation they had had the most recently, he seemed to understand it a little bit better, that she was trying to say, listen, like, I know you work and you do all of these things, but I'm I'm drowning, and it's a lot for me to try to always know where the lunch bags are and what's going on. You know, it's like when I'm doing all of the things for me and all of the things for the kids, and I'm the one who has to remember everything on top of having a career it's really overwhelming and I know you're doing a lot but really you're managing you and I'm managing the house the dog the kids the lunches the school paperwork like I you know plus me plus the job plus the cars plus the bills right and you've got your thing and he seemed like he heard it and she told me about this moment (laughs) where she went downstairs one morning and he had left a post-it that just was like a reminder a reminder, don't forget for the, you know, the daughter, like, don't forget your sports equipment, whatever it was, there was something that one of his kids needed that day that he thought might easily be forgotten. And he had put a post-it up as a reminder. And this woman, the mom, had in fact forgotten that thing. And so this one post-it was so phenomenally helpful to her that she's like weeping with gratitude. Mm, gosh, the but, bar is so low. Like it's just like she just to have like one, yeah. to have someone else hold a thing in mind so that you don't have to and then be able to rely on that. Like in that moment, she felt like he really must have gotten it. And it's one post-it. It's so small. It's just like the huge significance of such a small gesture. I mean, it's like that post-it could save their marriage and I'm not exaggerating. And it really, when I was listening to the story, I kind of wanted to cry because I completely understood it. It's like, yeah, it really can feel that depleting and to really have someone else help just with the remembering can be so big. We're saying I'm in it with you. You don't, you're not alone. Absolutely. And maybe I haven't done a great job with those things, but I hear you and I can be present now. Right. I can, I can leave the post-it instead of telling you to up your Prozac dose, you know, like I can, (laughs) I can actually hear what you're asking for and give it to you. Thich Nhat Hanh talked about love as being understanding, like love and understanding are the same thing to him. And I think that that's really true. And so if you love somebody, you would want to be really listening, like listening really closely to try to hear where they're coming from and move your ego to the side, but just hear them as them. Well, why would they want to do that if they can just show up for dinner, eat a delicious meal and then pack up the leftovers and just be on their way? I, I mean, again, that's where that's like, like a, we it's talked like about entitlement it. or they haven't reflected on the fact that maybe they're not entitled to that. Right. That well, there's yeah. that there's a sense of maybe it's not even active entitlement. It's just more lack of awareness that maybe they're not. Do you see the difference? Right. It's yes. It's, it's like maybe 
to reflect on like, wait a second, all these things that I'm just expecting to have happen, maybe I need to pause and wonder about that. Like it goes back to our interview a few, like, you know, a couple months ago with JJ Bola when he was talking about, but if you love somebody, like you say you love her and she's telling you this hurts. So if you accuse her of being depressed or if you blame her for her own hurt, where's the love in that? Mm-hmm. Right. Or if she's saying like, wow, I'm in over my head and you're not offering to help. Where's the love in that? So, you know, there can be all these great statements of I love you. I love you. But where's the like we also want to see those gestures like or a willingness to understand so that the person that you're saying you love actually feels loved. Doesn't just hear words, but feels loved. Right. And so I guess, you know, all of this to me is intertwined with the Thanksgiving leftovers is sort of like symbolic of that, you know, or just food in general. You know, we want to make sure everybody's being fed, right? Why not water all the plants? We actually probably could. It doesn't have to be that hard. Yeah, that's what they're in the book, The Mastery of Love. Did you read that one? No, no. It's the same guy, blanket on his name, same guy who wrote The Four Agreements. Oh, okay. He writes, and I'm, I think I've told you about this before, or even mentioned it before. He talks about love kind of being like this magical kitchen where it, anything that you might want, right? You want Indian food. You open up the refrigerator, there's delici- delicious Indian food. You want apples, they're there. Like any, like in some kind of fantasy world where you have this magical kitchen. There's not only so much available for you, but there's so much to share. Come on, come on over to my place, Stephanie. There's so there, uh, there's so much here. Right, it's plentiful. It's plentiful, and he kind of makes that like the comparison to it being like love. Like I have love. I have love to give you. It's not like I'm gonna run out of love because. I'm a loving person. I'm just going to act out of my heart. There's plenty of love to go around. And then he then continues to describe, well, then somebody shows up, knocks on the door and says, I have pizza. And it's like subpar, not that great pizza. And says, if you let me in, I'll share my pizza with you and I'll love you. And you can love me, but this is, this is basically what I have to offer. In the book, he kind of describes like, well, why would anybody want someone's like conditional pizza when you have this like magical kitchen? It's like the other kind of leftovers, right? Those are the leftovers nobody wants. Yeah. Right. That have been in the fridge and they're all kind of dried out. Yeah. Right. Instead of being like, you know, someone knocking on the door and being like, I've got a magical kitchen over here too. You got a magical kitchen. Look at, I just like made like jam. You want some jam? Like I got some jam. Instead of it being like a co-collaborative, creative exchange, it can feel conditional or feel like subpar leftovers. Yeah. So what does that author say about that? I mean, the way that he was describing it is live your life as though you have enough to go around that no one goes, no one goes hungry, even yourself. And and we talk about this a little bit because I know that there's some ways that we've talked about this in the past where it's like, 
we need to be able to get love to be able to give love. And then where does the love start? Do we start with our own love and like having self-respect and self-dignity? So you understand the type of love that you actually want. So it's not terrible, uh, you know, terrible exchange. It's like a more positive exchange. And his thought was, well, we need just to understand that we have access to this thing. Yeah. We have access to this magical kitchen if you like want it. And if that might be an internal job, that might just be a way of looking at things a little bit differently, but it definitely will make you think twice about someone offering their crumbs. Right. So he's, it sounds like he's also saying you don't have to offer crumbs. Like, first of all, like we would like to have a fair exchange here. Mm-hmm. So that nobody, so that it's not like, you know, one person is benefiting and the other person isn't, but also you, we all within us have our, we can, we can make the kitchen be so you don't have to offer up crumbs or a kind of unwanted cold pizza, whatever. And I've, I've felt that way. I felt like there's so much richness that I know that I've cultivated in my life. There's there's a depth that I've intentionally put into my life because I feel like I like that. I like life to feel like that. I like life to feel full. And I really feel offended when people offer me their crumbs. I don't know if offended is the right word, but it's just very unattractive to me. And it's like, okay, it's like, it's not a competition. It's not who does more, but I just, I don't want to feel like your leftovers either. Right, right. Like, that just feels bad. Right. It's sort of like if you put so much effort into most everything and then someone comes along who doesn't put much effort in at all, it's kind of like not a fair game or it's not a good match. Or I've been told before in like previous relationships, it's like, okay, you've done all these things. You've cooked all the food. You've made sure the house is clean. You've gotten all the, you know, supply, like you're running this house and those are all actually your choices. So my choices, any choices that I bring to the table are going to be the ones that I want to bring. And it felt like he was trying to describe it as him being loving by bringing loving actions were a choice of his to bring. But it actually felt like, okay, after you've worked, after you've gone out and partied with your friends or like whatever you've done, like after you've just totally been a living example of you, the very little amount of energy you have because you love me well that feels doesn't doesn't feel good yeah that's sort of a selfish mislabeling of love well yeah (laughs) no but i think i think that people there's a lot of people who think of love that way or even when we're talking about you know uh i'm coming you know i'm coming to someone's house to eat dinner it's like oh yeah i love my sister or i love the you know i love them but like what do you like what? What does your love look like? What does your love feel like? What is? How does your love translate to this situation? To, you know, right? Or, or is it just like I love how you make me feel? Like yeah. I love, I love the good food you feed to me. Is different from like I'm seeing you as a whole person, and I want to give something to nourish that. Right. Right. And, and not feel that if I'm giving something to nourish you, that, so, uh, that it's taking something away from me that I resent giving. I really don't like feeling like I know we all need nourishment, right? I know we all do. But I really don't like being on the other end of that feeling. How are you going to nourish me? 
How, what are you bringing to the table? What you got your, you got your pie at Acme. You mm. did it. You didn't, you didn't make it yourself. Like that to me, like that dialogue feels so awful in my brain. Cause it makes me feel like there's a compare and a contrast. There's a better, or there's a worse, or there's a good, there's a bad. None of that stuff actually matters. Even if someone came empty handed and took all the leftovers, like what was their presence like? How present were they? What were their, what were their emotions? What, how did they talk to me? How did they make me feel? How did they treat my dog? What kind of person and how are they living? Is it one of love? Maybe we don't have that much to give sometimes and that's okay. Sometimes all I have to give is, you know, a pie from wherever that I did. Although I think though, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, right? The gestures matter a lot, even if it's not about this stuff, the gestures matter, the vibe matters, right? The gratitude matters, right? It's like one way for someone to take leftovers and be really thankful for that and really see what it means. Um, But ideally, or maybe even as a baseline, it should come, there should be a sense that some of that will come back. And it's not because I'm not like giving you this because I want something back. But I want to be in a relationship with someone who wants to right, who wants to have an even score, who wants to have a give and take, who doesn't want to feel like they've taken more than they've given, right? So it's not like I'm going to give you things with an expectation of something in return. But I know that I will only give so much that if I never, if there's nothing in return, then I just start to feel masochistic, right? That I'm just, you know, unless I just have a, you know, it doesn't really matter. I have such an abundance that I'm happy to feed anybody and it doesn't matter. But in a world where like even emotional resources can feel kind of finite when we're all really tired and depleted, it does feel good to be in relationships that have some version of reciprocity. I think a lot of people feel as though eventually my love will chip away whatever bad attitude or eventually my love will melt someone's heart. I mean, I mean, there's a reason that women stay in these relationships. There's friendships, relationships, intimate relationships, whatever. There's a reason why people keep doing it. Well, of course. Yeah. Right. I mean, many, I'm sure on, you know, you can get as deep as you want to get into, into someone's reasoning for sticking it out in a relationship that maybe is depleting. There's many, many reasons. I just know that personally, and I hope for a lot of people, we really do want reciprocity and it can be a bit of a bind if you're with someone who won't give it to you or who isn't getting it. You know, that's when it's like, we hope that there'll be something that comes in, maybe my voice or your voice that helps to change the story, right? And it doesn't even have to be a man, woman kind of thing, right? But just, you know, in or friendships. Like a partner, partner. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've had this issue in like female friendships where friends, they would want to hang out or be friends with me as long as I could make my schedule fit theirs. Oh, you told me about that. I mean, so often, I mean, so, so often that it's, you know, one friend even would have me, she'd be like, well, I'd love to spend time with you. Maybe you could come with me to the grocery store. You tell me that. Right. Or there's a sense like if I follow you around as you do your chores, then you'll have time for me. Or, 
you know, I have this one 15 minute window. And now I get it that people are busy, but when a friendship can't work like that, when it's only one person doing the accommodating, it really has to be a two way street or the whole thing just kind of falls apart. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm somebody who will pour in a lot. Like I will really keep at it because I'm pretty committed to the relationships that I get in friendships, you name it. Like I'm, if I'm part of it, I really try to do my part. Mm-hmm. You do. I try. And, and so I want some of that Turkey gumbo. Stephanie. <laughs> oh, you know, it. <laughs> says the woman who brought me <laughs> soup on my birthday when I was having a hard day. <laughs> The gumbo is for you, Lois. Yay, Absolutely. I want to eat it. The food of love. <laughs> it is interesting. Yeah, because then there's this other negative part of leftovers. Mine is Thanksgiving leftovers. Usually leftovers. Have a bad rep, right? Yeah. Ugh, but also kind of, yeah, nobody wants the leftovers or the leftovers go bad. So they're like guilt, like inducing to like look in the fridge and be like, oh, I didn't eat that. Or just letting some, what a waste. What a waste, right. Leftover guilt. Yeah, but then there's this other part too that it's like, it it really all depends what it is too, like how special it is. how And a lot of it comes into how much love is put into something or how tasty something is, how coveted something is. Mm -hmm. Thanks for wanting to bring up the idea of leftovers today. It's just interesting. It is. And I, I, I sort of like the, the, the way you're differentiating, sort of like the desirable leftovers that everyone wants, where it's sort of like this coveted dish in the fridge versus the, you know, I don't want your leftovers or he's just trying to give me leftovers or how, you know, why wouldn't you make me something new, right? That there's, there certainly are two different ways of mm-hmm. looking at it. You yeah, know, like one is a thing to kind of like fight over. And the other thing is like kind of getting pushed back and forth between people like, no, you have it. You have it. <laughs> or and sometimes those like you have it, you have it leftovers. Honestly, make the most del- like creative scenarios. Like, OK, I've got like leftover soup here and I got noodles over here. And maybe if I mix this, so you know, like you can. Like sometimes leftovers for me when I look in my fridge and I don't feel like going to the grocery store, like is a catalyst for being extremely creative and trying something wild. And maybe it just tastes really weird <laughs> you know? or maybe it's really fun or it's like maybe it's more nourishing or I don't know. But there's like it's all in the way that you kind of look at it. But feeling like I've been given people's leftovers and not there's something new something like I feel like it puts the pressure on me to be creative with it or for me to feel accepting or for me to feel like yeah it's okay if you take all the goodies or like all the scrumptious stuff I'll uh, I can put up with this or I'm okay with you taking it all and I can make something new for myself I don't know I feel like that's just part of life in a way like culturally for women I think like a lot of women do that not all women and men do it too obviously we sometimes have a tendency to speak on the show about gender dynamics and we're not talking about everybody but with that said a majority of women would really relate to what I just said right that that it's like someone else can come first 
yeah. in a way, right? Yeah, that, that yeah, and you'll then figure it, it out. Yeah, and then it's my job to be creative. It's my job to be like make it nutritious. It's my job to make something new. It's my job to buy all the ingredients and um, my job to be giving. I mean, I certainly know that by default I do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I will always, it's it's a funny way that it's like on the one hand, I'm kind of like, I want to be nourished. And on the other hand, I set things up in such a way that, you know, I give everything away. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe especially when it comes to my kids, it's like there's a sense that it's like they're getting to a point where now they're just like, well, mom, what are you going to have? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just give us all your food. <laughs> yeah. You know, unless it's like, you know, dessert, then probably, you know, maybe you get one spoon of it <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> with with teenagers. But um, that's not anything particular to them. Yeah. It's just sort of a developmental stage. I mean, it does feel different with kids, but I do notice that like the tendency to like, I don't really, especially when the kids were little, like it, there was a lot more effort put into like what they were going to be eating than what I was going to be eating. Oh, definitely. Like I knew a woman who, what she would do is she would buy at the beginning of the week, she would buy a rotisserie chicken and she had like three little kids and she would, you know, for lunch every day, she would be making all their stuff and she would just literally eat the chicken out of the refrigerator like she would just pull off pieces of chicken and that for the whole week that's what she would eat as she was feeding them you know fresh made stuff she's just kind of grazing on rotisserie chicken Mm -hmm. to get her own protein in and have some energy but that level of care was certainly not put into her her food yeah I did that I mean not the rotisserie chicken but I when my kids were little I was always trying to make them things that they would eat. And by the time, like when they were like, I don't know, for lunch or whatever, I'd make like a normal dinner, family dinner type of thing. But for breakfast and lunch, I'd always try to be more kid friendly. And I remember just eating kid food all through the day. And I just felt like, ugh, like what? Like the the uneaten edge of the grilled cheese sandwich. Yes, exactly. Yeah, or like the cold noodles with, you know, or, uh, you know, it just felt, I don't know, just. Right, it's like you're just getting energy. You're not getting nourishment. You're just getting Mm -hmm. like, I need some energy to keep going. Yeah. In contrast, like, it's so, it's so attractive when people can have these human skills that are for everybody, like when it's not gendered, when cooking isn't gendered, when doing laundry isn't gendered, when actually being an active participant in the family, playing, laughing, like being part, handing dishes, putting things away, like it, that type of human experience is so attractive it's like when people look into homes like that, it feels warm. It feels cozy. It feels loving. If, I mean, I was feeling that way a lot on Thanksgiving. I was like, wow, this is like our family's got a really good thing going on. Ended with like cards around the table and everyone's singing at their top of their lungs. Like it's like that part of that was because we all were pitching in. Right. And like that's attra- like to me, that's attractive. Yeah. That's attractive. It's like it's so attractive to me when men can cook and do things for themselves. And when there's, they're just offering, you know, something real, something, not that food or not as substantial, but it's just a way of being. Right. 
not and not only that they can do something for themselves but that they can do something for other people right right definitely right. like do things be able to do things for yourself like i wouldn't want to put a child into the world no matter if it's a boy or a girl a man or woman like that couldn't take care of themselves right. but i also would hope that they can you know hear what's needed see what's needed know how to pitch in you know what i mean and join in i mean i have to tell you and share just like how after a Thanksgiving meal, the majority of women cooking the meal and they're sharing the prized leftovers, mm -hmm. like the sharing part of it. Yeah. Taking care of yourself. Yes. Being, having something to offer others, but then also giving it away. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I had like a new, a somewhat new experience at the end of Thanksgiving this year, which was that, you know, there were a lot of men in my house and they all helped me. I mean, I sort of felt like I lost a little bit of control over like what food was going where because there wasn't a system in place. But everyone really like made an effort to help clean the kitchen and it got done so much faster. Love that. And it was great. I mean, it was just great, you know, although then, you know, the next day, of course, I found like <laughs> the, the the leftover turkey carcass in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that go? Well, I mean, and I knew, you know, I knew why it had been put there was so that the cat wouldn't try to yeah. eat it. <laughs> but then everybody had forgotten about it. But it yeah. was not a big deal. Yeah. That was really not a big deal. And, you know, it was so great to have the hands and the mind helping to clean up and minds all on that, you mm -hmm. know, and ever, all these hands sort of reaching in, you know, Doesn't asking for a dish so to good? dry. Yeah, it was great. It's like such a great way to relate to each other. Like if we think of it as like, oh, it's awful, it's awful. Like we miss this whole, this whole like also gift. Like for me, feeling like the gift of being able to give that to my mom. Years and years and years of her doing all the cooking and cleaning up and everything for her to be able to be like, okay, it's okay if I sit down. You guys got this, and we're like, yeah, ma. Yeah, we saw you we doing it. it. We we, we, got we it. learned. Yeah, or right. even being like, is did we? Do you want us to do anything else before we go? You know, this still looks a little crazy over here. She, nope, you've done enough. That feeling feels good. Right, right. It feels good to be that person that you know has pitched in. Also, mm -hmm. right. I mean, I would love to get to a to the point that you're describing where there felt like there was sort of like enough for everyone, and there was a bit of a routine and like you know, even a cleanup routine, you know, that just sounds sort of like how it should be, right? It sounds fair. Mm -hmm. And it also sounds enjoyable. It's not bad. You know, because then it does feel good to do projects with other people. And so cleaning up a kitchen can certainly be a, a project that isn't bad. Like I just stood at the sink with like gloves on, the open dishwasher, a soapy sponge, you know, and other people who were like simultaneously like putting things away or like mm -hmm. maybe they're handing me the empty dish that they had just emptied out by putting the leftovers in the fridge and then I can wash it and hand it to someone else who can dry it. And it, mm -hmm. it, it was, it was great. Yeah. I think about all of that, like part of dinner is prep prepping. Part of dinner is eating. Part of dinner is cleaning up. So how much of the process are you going to be engaged in? Because it's all one and the same. But that's the way life is, too. Yeah. Like, part of waking up is putting your feet on the ground. 
which means you need to clear the path to be able to get on your day. Like right. It's like it's all part of like taking care of yourself, looking after others, having cooperation. And these, I don't know, these Even acts, if it's with yourself living alone. Yeah. And these acts of living, I think, are, you know you know, nurturing the nurturer, like sharing, sharing the leftovers if you can, but not taking more than your share, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that the feeder is fed, all of that stuff, you know, all of these kind of like small acts of daily living and relational caretaking matter so much right now as the world can sometimes feel like it's falling apart. Like the problems can feel so big. Like there's just like, what can we do about it? If we're not secretary of state, what are you going to do about the state of affairs? There's not a lot you can do about it, but what you can do is maintain your home and treat these people well, right? Like shrink your world, focus on what matters and focus on who's right there next to you. And that really feels good. It is just sort of like that kind of joining and and building of community. Yeah. Right. And it, and it may even be, you know, your, it may be sort of like your relationship with your home. It doesn't always even have to be if there aren't a lot of other people around all the time, how are you treating the space you're in? Mm -hmm. It comes back to you and it can feel really, really good. Definitely. I don't need to tell you that Lois. You're like the master. (laughs) Well, not always, you know, I think it's like life is a process. Well, speaking of process, this show was quite a nice process. Yeah. (laughs) We processed a lot. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking through the leftovers with me because really that had been on my mind and, you know, it's sort of helpful to really think it through because there's so many different ways to look at it. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll be back next week. Right, Stephanie? We will be back. And if you liked our episode, feel free to share it. Um, You can find us on any podcast platform. We have replays there and If you don't have a podcast platform handy, you can find us online at theeverydayfeminist.com. We're there. Feel free to reach out. Feel free to play a past episode. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye, Germantown.